My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script. I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it. I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot. I even got a famous classic case of writer's block. Get it out of my head. 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 Get it out of your head. And onto the page. Get it out of your head. And onto the page. Get it out of your head. And onto the page. Get it out of your head. And onto the page. Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me, still flying blind on the controls, we're still having these technical problems, is Adeep Desai. Hey, hey. Hey. But you did great with the last one when we were actually we'll talking we'll about flying. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. All right. And, you're, and are, you, are you nervous about our guest? I'm a little nervous about her. A little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she's like really accomplished and she's pretty. Mm-hmm. B-A-D-A. Asterisk, asterisk. <laughs> yeah, right? totally, totally. That's how I get around the cussing. <laughs> Our guest is Nancy Pimentel. Hello. Hello. Nancy, um, okay, so you are a writer on South Park. You are currently um, EP, that means executive producer, of um, Shameless. Mm-hmm. And I love Shameless. It's great, great show on Showtime. It's going into its fifth season, is that yeah, right? Yeah, we just wrapped shooting on Friday of our fifth season. We were in Chicago this last week, although I did not go because I was supposed to go. But when I saw that it was 14 degrees, feels like minus four degrees, uh-huh. I said, I can do anything you need to do remotely <laughs> That's from right. 80 degree That's Los, Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> Los Angeles. Yeah. yeah, I can still write up yeah. here. Yeah. I, I can be creative all exactly. through. That's what, you exactly. know, what Skype's for, baby. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, also, I should mention um, that in 2002, um, you also wrote The Sweetest Thing, mm. um, which starred Cameron Diaz. Yes. And um, oh, who else did it? Oh, Christina oh, Applegate, Applegate, Selma Blair, yeah. Parker Posey, Thomas Jane. And is it true, IMDb has a, a little uh, rumor on there that this was based on a friendship between oh, you and Kate Walsh. No, is that true? Not at all. Okay, so, so no, that's just it, something IMDb throws on just to be maddening. Yeah, so much of IMDb is wrong <laughs> on my page. So um, I, I, Sony had done a, they wanted to do a DVD extras on the, um, when they released the Sweetest Thing DVD. And uh, so they had called me up and they said, you can do anything you want. We're going to send a film crew out to you and you can do anything you want. I was like, oh, okay. So I decided I was going to do this little short called A Day in the Life of a Big Hollywood Screenwriter. And I just got all of my friends together and we kind of, I mean, it was just so like improv and every, I, everybody just came over and I was like, be whoever you want. And so um, Dash Mihawk, who's a very successful actor, he decided he was going to be my gay assistant and he put on, he went through my closets and put on like like workout stuff. <laughs> uh, Brian Van Holt said he was going to be my pool boy. Um, one of my friends was going to be my spiritual advisor. And Kate said that she was going to be my best friend. And so, of course, everybody gloms on to that fact, even though these other successful actors were other parts of my life that nobody glommed on to. Nobody was like, oh, wow, Brian Van Holt, who was on Cougar Town, 
is her pool boy interesting? But everybody glommed, that. Yeah, everybody glommed on to the fact that Kate was playing my best friend. <laughs> and in the course of this sort of improv thing that we shot throughout the... And there was also... We, I had a, a friend of mine was babysitting mm-hmm. at the time. So she brought over the nine-year-old girl that she was babysitting. And we just <laughs> locked her in my bedroom and pretended that she was the one that was actually writing all my scripts. That's awesome. But nobody latched onto any of those mm-hmm. elements. Just the fact that Kate Walsh said that she was my best friend and that the script was based on her. And we were like, we're pretending we were hammered drunk and mm-hmm. all this stuff. So yeah, people, I mean, I'm friends with her, but certainly, I don't even think I knew her when I wrote this. I think you should just go with this. <laughs> I know. I think you should just like, know. like you oh, know, yeah. change your name to Walsh. Just, just completely commit I to know. it. BFFs. <laughs> and we get those little like <laughs> half heart. Yeah. Tat- little, or necklaces. Uh, necklaces or, yeah. or tattoos of yeah. each other's names. It's funny. It's like, oh, she and I have never even talked about this. I, so that's that's how like off the charts and not true it is that we've never even said like I've, I've never even asked her does she get any attention from that hmm. fact that's, well it was it was there so I just had to ask I know. you never know I you know. never know so 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 we were talking a little bit about how um, people should know that I don't know Nancy this is my first mm-hmm. time meeting her I'm clearly a fan um, but. You came to me because my husband did warm up on Ben Stein's Money. You were a host on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have an acting past. Yeah. No, wait. I'm trying to... Because we had... He did warm up because he, Don Barris did warm up at one point. Was he after Don? I don't remember. He was on for just a short time. I think he was fired. But he was like, oh, <laughs> oh okay. That makes sense. That he was so funny. <laughs> well, and there was another guy, too, um, who... I feel like his name is Mark Wahlberg, but like, like it must Different. be a middle initial, like Mark T. Wahlberg or something, mm-hmm. who went on to be the host of some show on Fox called um, something about lying. Hmm. And he was, I, so I remember him, but I don't remember your husband. He knows you. He's been stalking hey. you on Facebook for a long time. So this Fantastic. all pays off for me. I yes. appreciate it. But also, I, I also saw that you're originally from the Boston area, yes. as I'm I. Oh, where? Uh, Winchester. You're from oh. Worcester, right? Well, no, I went to college in Worcester. I'm from Somerset. Where'd you go to, where'd you go to college? I went to WPI, Worcester Polytech. <laughs> I'm a nerd. I'm an engineer. <laughs> I know. Whenever I say I went to school in Worcester, everyone's like, Holy Cross, Clark. I'm like, nope. There's 10 schools in Worcester, and I went to the nerdy one. And, uh, and what brought you out here? How did you get to L.A.? Well, I always wanted to be in the entertainment business, and I always wanted to act and do, just be creative. And uh, when I was in high school, I was in the top. I was cursed. I was cursed with being smart and cursed with being in the top 10 of my high school. So I remember sitting in my guidance counselor's office with, uh, his name was Mr. Barra, and my mother, and I said, I want to move to L.A. And they both looked at me like I was crazy. <laughs> because I, it's small hometown, mm-hmm. yeah, smart. You don't go and waste your brain going to uh, Hollywood. So they just looked at me, didn't say a word. And I like that, that sort of, a, you know, disdainful stare does not do well with me because mm. I have a very imagination, uh, imaginative mind. So my brain goes to, I suck. I'm the worst. I'm a horrible person for even suggesting something like that. So within like a few seconds, I said, or I could go to engineering school. <laughs> and they wow. somehow leaped on that. And, you know, I just didn't have the, I guess I just didn't have the confidence or the cojones back then to be like, no, I'm doing what I want. But it was, I don't regret it because going to engineering school 
gave me the confidence because I was like, yeah, that's hard. If I could be a chemical yeah. engineer, please, yeah. I can move to Hollywood. Right, exactly. <laughs> that's a breeze. So, so did you move yeah. out here as a performer or was writing yes. always? No, a- I had no, I didn't even think of myself as a writer. I thought like, oh, you know, someday I'll, when I'm, you know, 60, I'll go into the woods of Montana and I'll write a book. And that just seemed glamorous. I didn't think mm. of writing at all. And I, um, yeah, I came out here. I was doing, after I graduated from WPI, I went to a, this two-year acting school. And then I, and I was doing improv comedy. So I moved out here, and I got very involved in the comedy world quickly, um, doing sketch and improv. And then I started doing stand-up. And then just being around all of those people, I started um, just seeing how people would get jobs on sitcoms. And that, that just seemed like a natural uh, progression to go and become a writer, and um, it also felt like it was a way of controlling the, the material that I was doing because I would get called in by these executives who would see me doing stand up and they'd say, Oh, we think you're great, and we'd love to bring you in for something sometime. We'd love to find. We'd love to find a project for you. So I was like, well, Why am I going to wait? Why don't I just write something? So mm. I just was. I would write stuff and then. A few months later, I would call up whatever executive I had met, and I said, hey, uh, I wrote a pilot spec. You want to read it? And it just kind of got the, the momentum going, and it got the, um, the it, was never, it wasn't a very direct route to getting success, but what it did was it gave me a lot of promise. People would read things I wrote, and they would give me a lot of um, accolades, and they would tell me that, well, I think you got something here, kid. And um, so that just kept me going. So, so how did you get to South Park? I wrote a spec of South Park. Mm. Now, nor- normally people say, right. never write a spec right. for the right, show right, that right, you're right. going for. How, how did you get to break this rule? Um, I, just, I just believed I was supposed to write on the show. I was in, I can't remember exactly where I was, but I think I was in some like hateful town in Montana in like a hateful hotel doing stand up. I was I was working all these gigs doing one nighters in different towns in in the up in the northwest. And so we would do a gig and then drive like 6 to 8 hours to go to the next gig the next day. And I was and we were they would put us up in really crappy hotels. And so I was in a hotel and I saw South Park the first year had come out and I was like, "Oh my god." This is, this is me, this is my voice, this is my show, I need to be writing on this show. And so, yeah, I just, I, I just believed I was supposed to be on the show. I believed my, my, my voice matched the show. And, I had, and then when I came back to Los Angeles, I had just like this weird just set of circumstances that happened that I was, I ended up having a meeting super indirectly with this guy from Boston P.S., um, who you, was, was the executive producer on South Park for, like, the first episode. He ended up getting fired, and then Ann Garofino, who has been the executive producer forever, took his place. But for the first episode, he was the EP on South Park. He happened to be uh, a producer in Boston that did these kind of, like, infomercially type things that I... He worked for a company called Videocraft in Boston, and I had done a bunch of work as an actress for these uh, infomercials. Mm. 
I didn't know him then. We didn't know each other out here. We had a meeting completely indirectly unrelated to any of this. But then we got talking and we were like, wait, we're both from Boston. We both know all the same people. And you used to be an EP. And I want to work on South Park. And he was the one that said, you should totally try to get in touch with them and write a, a spec because they are really looking for writers. Like I just assumed in my mind that they had a huge staff of writers and that they were, I thought they were in Colorado also. I thought it was really, really unattainable. Right. And he was the one that told me that they were in the marina. They were hurting for writers because they could not find anybody who had the voice of the show. Mm. So they would hire people who came off of like, uh, um, Seinfeld or, um, why am I blanking on Kelsey Grammer show? Oh, Frasier. Frasier, stuff Kelsey like that. Shows, yeah. So they were like great writers, but they, it doesn't translate because South Park isn't a sitcom. It's a little mini movie. So they, they would get these like writers and after eight weeks they would fire them. So they didn't have a staff. They had nobody and they were desperately looking for people. So it was just weird that this guy came into my life to tell me that message. That's interesting that you said it's, an, it's not a sitcom. It's a mini movie. Mm-hmm. So structurally you also had it. I mean, you know, you mentioned the voices, but to also realize, yeah. that, no, this is a different kind of story being told in a different kind of way. Well, and I had not ever worked on a sitcom before, so I didn't know, you know, sitcoms is very like, they're very set up punch, set up punch, and there's that sort of old school rule that there needs to be X amount of jokes per page, mm-hmm. and and it, um, yeah, it's not, South Park's not, I didn't know, I didn't know from anything, so that's why I think that helped me too, because I wasn't, I didn't have the sitcom muscle. Now, how many women were on staff with South Park? I mean, literally nobody was on staff at the time. There was obviously Matt and Trey. There was another guy who, um, he was, he was, he had gone to high school with Trey and he was actually, um, an English, he had a master's in English and was teaching Hemingway in the mountains of Colorado and, and Trey brought him out here to work on the show but he was kind of playing catch up because he hadn't um, he hadn't written in in this kind of form or format before, and then there was one other person who was like a consulting producer, but she was working on a sitcom at the time, so she didn't have a lot of free time or flexibility, so she would just pop in to help as needed. So that was it. There was mm-hmm. nobody when I got there. That was it. So would you break story uh, with? with your small team or was everybody writing individual episodes? How would this work? We would, well, when I, I had written a spec of the show, had gotten it to them. They wanted to meet with me. Um, The meeting went very well. And then they said, okay, what we want to do is we want to pay you um, to write one episode. And then if we like that, then we'll put you on staff. So we went to, um, we went to the Beverly Hills hotel and just got a suite and just like outlined the story together. So it was me and Matt and Trey and this other guy that I told you who, who was uh, Trey's friend from high school and Ann Garofino. And we just sat there for a few hours just on the little cards outlining the story. And then they said, okay, take those cards now and go write the episode and you have 10 days to go write it. And so I did that. And then, um, and then what, how it, so that's kind of how it would work. We would definitely get together. We would, we would outline things together and then, and then somebody would go off and write the episode. But Trey would always then take a pass on every episode. Well, what's the brainstorming? Like, it, I mean, when you think of South Park and, and the fans of South Park and stuff, it's such a revered show, right? And the specific kind of comedy, mm-hmm. it's hard to imagine, like, 
you guys sitting around and just brainstorming story like what's the brainstorming process like on a show like that is is everybody talking like like the characters no no not at all i mean it was definitely i have to say it was it was i know everybody always thinks like oh were you guys wasted were you guys on drugs like how do you think of all (laughs) that's what that's what i'm asking nancy is yeah i mean it's no different than what we go through on shameless like we are just pitching a bunch of ideas and we're actually trying to think of what the story is. Like, what's the beginning, middle, and end? What's the character arc? Well, like, what, what is the, the goal and the want of the character? Does it deviate off? Does it, do we all go into, like, you know, crazy comedic monologues? Absolutely. Um, and is everybody, like, spitballing? And do we go into the wild, crazy, like, recesses of our brain place? Absolutely. But ultimately everything always gets back to, I I mean, this was, this is sort of the example that comes to mind right now. Um, and this is exactly how it is on shameless. Like we'll sort of pitch an idea and then we all say, okay, that's good. That's sort of like a, you know, I might see that on, like we always say this on shameless, but uh, yeah, we might see that on Grey's Anatomy. So what's the shameless, shameless version. version. And we used to do that on South Park Park too. What's the, the South Park version. So I remember, my brother, my brother's um, kids, my nephews, they grew up in South America, and they believe they don't believe in the tooth fairy down there. They believe in the tooth razon, the tooth rat. And um, so I pitched, uh, like, what if there's a tooth rat? I don't even remember what I pitched, but something about that. And so it ultimately, like, through spitballing and talking and everything, it became um, that Cartman was pretending that he was the tooth fairy. And... Um, so that, you know, that's, yeah. that's how, and I don't, you know, I think, who knows, I can't even remember, and I think I probably wrote that episode, and I don't even remember it, but it was probably that that was his scam, like Cartman was going to play this scam to get money, to get money. Yeah. he was going to pretend that he was the tooth fairy. I'm sure it had, you know, way more South Parkian twists and turns, but it, it's, it's regular pitching with kind of a crazy twist to everything. Because you've worked on two crazy shows. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not yeah. they're not safe shows. No. So, Mm-mm. you would assume that things go bonkers in yeah, the room. Yeah, they do. But, but it uh, is still really, like, I mean, Matt, Matt and Trey taught me a lot. I, I think both of the shows have taught me to be a way better writer. Not just, because the comedy is there, but the comedy doesn't, comedy doesn't propel a story or inform the characters. Like, comedy is you've got to hire comedic people to get the comedy and the tone of a show, but you've got to hire people who know story and who know, you know, the, the engine of a, an episode or an engine of a character or a series I mean, that really on both shows, that is Mm. definitely the driving force. And we would have, because I, I would got to a point on South Park where, where I helped them try to find other writers. And I would say, probably 90% of the time people would come in and be like, okay, so here's the thing, Cartman, he, he's gonna, he eats cheesy poofs, but he's on the moon. It's like, what's, like, they would just try to find like some funny thing to pitch, yeah. and it was always never funny because out of context, yeah. something just funny of like what you're going to do with cheesy, everybody had some different take on what Cartman's going to do with cheesy poofs. It's like, it's just not funny. And what's the story? And why? How are you elevating this writing staff? With so, did that? you talk about like how is this grounded in reality? Is that an issue that comes up in South Park at all? Like, do you start there and then it goes to Crazy Town, or no? 
I don't think that we do that more on Shameless. I don't mm-hmm. think we ever talked about grounding it in reality. I think more it was, um, you, like, what's the what's the beginning, middle, and end? Like, what are the what's the driving force? What are, what's the character want, and what are the obstacles to get there? I mean, it was mm-hmm. real, like. Yeah. everything had to have a cause and effect, you know? Like, we're, it's not just a scene just to be a funny scene. It's because something happened in the previous scene and something is about to be set up in the next scene. Now, now you're on Shameless. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, was, what was the journey of getting from South Park to Shameless? Well, after South Park, I literally developed pilots, I would say, for the next seven years, um, I probably had one or two pilots every year. Mm. Some of them were shot. Lots of them were not. And I was kind of just, that, that was like what my career had become was a, a developing writer, which I was happy with and, and writing um, films also. And it, it seemed, I didn't even, it, for some reason it didn't even dawn on me that I could possibly find another gig on somebody else's show mm. that I would like, because it, there's also something with both of the shows that fits my personality and my lifestyle in that uh, I'm not in the writer's room a million hours on either of those shows. And I, I just couldn't do it. I don't have the, I don't have the, whatever it takes, the, the mental stability, I guess. Right. To be in a writer's room for 12, 14, To maintain 16. your sanity I don't in that have environment. It. I just don't yeah. have it. I mean, yeah. even like a nine to five. I did, a, I did six weeks on the newsroom last uh-huh. season. And that was like a nine to six kind of thing. And I, I, it's just not. Hmm. I, I'm, I uh, bow down to every person who has a, a normal nine to five job in whatever it is. I just, I just don't have it. I don't have it in me. So I just didn't, in South Park, we didn't have those hours at all. And so I guess it just never dawned on me that I would ever find something else like that. So, yeah, I was just going about, just keep getting up at bat, getting up at bat. And then I had run into uh, this guy I know who's the president of John Wells Productions Television. And who's from Framingham. Framingham. Mm-hmm. His name is Andrew Stern. I and did a uh, summer stock outside of the, the Dairy Queen. Yes, you did. In Framingham. Of course you yeah. did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that is a hot spot. <laughs> a hub of artistic genius there. Is there a video of it? <laughs> no, no, there okay. is not. Don't okay, even just have to check. So I, had, I, I ran into, I was becoming very, um, I found myself becoming more and more of a hermit. And I decided, I actively decided I, I, that I had to start going out more and start being out in the world more because I was getting way too comfortable at home. And this one day I went out to a party and this guy, Andrew Stern, was leaving the party as I was showing up and he said, wow, I haven't seen you in so long and you would be perfect for this thing. Call me tomorrow and I'm going to let you know about it. And I, being a... Uh, a New England girl, if somebody says do something in, or you say you're going to do something, you do it. But I've gotten a little sloppy about that being in L.A. 
where it's like, well, people don't really mean call them tomorrow. It was on my list of things to do, mm. but I'll call them in a couple of days because I don't want to seem eager and anxious right. because that's how things are perceived out here, even though on the East Coast you do it. Right. And he got in touch with me the next day. He's like, you said you were going to call because oh, he's a New Englander. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, sorry. I love that. I know. I do too. And uh, so he had bought the rights. He, uh, John Wells Productions had bought the rights to Shameless. It was a British show. They were, John hadn't sold it yet. He wanted to hire a couple of comedy writers to help him Americanize it and just to punch it up, punch up the script. And he was, it was supposed to be sold to HBO. That's where, where um, kind of the promise of where it was going to go once he got it into shape. So they sent me the DVDs of the British series. I loved it. Met with John. We completely hit it off. And then he just hired for the next year and a half. It was just one of those jobs of many jobs that I had of, of, um, that had a different form. Every, you know, every job had different form and different promise. I was, I was like a freelance consultant for him. Whenever he would need help, he would call me up and say, hey, can you come in for a day, a week, read what I have, or... You know, I, I'm stuck on this one scene. I need to help. Or I, I, can you help me punch this the script up? They would just take different forms, and I, he never promised me a job. He never. There was n- none of that. And, and I would. This was all on the pilot only, or this was just the pilot, just pilot that hadn't even been sold yet. And periodically, he would just keep me up to date. Like I'd get an email from him. Oh, HBO passed. I'm going to try to go somewhere else. Oh, um, who is supposed to be? I feel like they were talking to Woody Harrelson for Frank Gallagher. Oh, mm. he's not going to do it, but I think Bill Macy wants to do it. So he would just send me little emails, but again, no promise of anything. I'm like, I have no idea what this is. I don't know what this is. You're in the loop, but there's no, yeah. there's no gig at the end of the there's tunnel. There's no gig, like and, which was fine. Yeah. It was, I felt like I was very helpful to him, and I felt like I was very resourceful for him. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I got a call in uh, January of 2010, and he said, I sold it to Showtime, and we've cast it. Will you come to the table read? We're doing a table read for um, the network, and can you stay afterwards and listen to the notes that I'm going to get, and can you help me implement the notes? And I was like, sure. It was myself and this other guy. And then, uh, again, still no promise. I said, I'll go to Chicago if you want, if you need help. He didn't take me up on that. (laughs) (laughs) And um, then... In April, all of a sudden, uh, my agents were getting a call because he w- wanted my quotes, and he um, he he had sold it. They had greenlit the the series. So, and then wh- the best call I got was so John. Um, what he likes to do is he likes to work Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for three hours a day. That's awesome. That's Whoa. the best call, call ever. What? I work yeah. nine hours a week in the writer's room. I mean, I work a ton on the show. I'm so right. busy all the time. But it's, it's, such a, like, it's such a flexible, mushy schedule. I mean, when I'm writing, I have my own schedule. I do mm. when I want. As you long do it as from we, home, wherever. Yes. And yeah. we have deadlines, and you just have to get it in. Mm-hmm. So if you want to do it all in one day or you want to do it for two weeks, whatever. Mm. Um, yeah, and I have, you know, because of being an EP, I definitely have to be in there for different meetings and things like that. And we pr- all produce our own episodes. But, yeah, it couldn't be 
And I've become such a better writer. Mm. Well, I'd like to talk about the writing on the show. So, so mm-hmm. you've got, uh, for people who don't know the show Shameless, it focus mm-hmm. focuses on this really wonderful, dysfunctional family called the Gallaghers. Mm-hmm. And um, at the head of the family is a complete alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, so the kids basically have to parent themselves. And we've got Fiona, who's the, the oldest daughter, mm-hmm. who's taken on a mother role, but over it looks like over the course of the seasons is also dealing with her own potential addiction problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess, you know, there's so many things I want to ask, but you start with, I guess, I guess likability is, is a, a big question I want mm-hmm. to ask because you've got, you've got William H. Macy's, the, the world's worst dad, mm-hmm. who every time he's faced with a choice where he could possibly do something good, does something bad. You've got, um, you know, the, the, the teenagers themselves are acting out in all kinds of illegal and irresponsible ways. And yet, I love these people. I would have dinner with them any time. Mm-hmm. So what is, how do you create that? How do you create a, a way for the audience to empathize and like them despite the fact that they're doing unlikable right. things? Well, I think it's a few things. Well, I don't think everybody feels that way which I, is really interesting. I think the show really polarizes people because I've had people say, oh my God, I tried to watch that show and it's way too close to reality for me and it's too painful. Like I think for some people it's really painful, which I think is an accomplishment that we've, mm-hmm. we've, we've uh, I think it's a great accomplishment because we, our whole goal is to make sure, especially Bill's character, that it's realistic. And if somebody's an, an alcoholic, an addict, a sociopath, they don't change unless they something happens where they're hitting rock bottom and they decide on their own they want to go and clean up their act. They don't change. They don't have any kind of remorse. They don't have any kind of like, well, this little window is where they'll, they, they can find their sweet spot of like that touches their heart. They are narcissistic and they... Um, they are out for themselves and their own betterment. And so our goal is really to have um, him be truthful in that way. And it's, it's hard. It's a struggle sometimes because it, it definitely um, can limit where we go. So we try to find sort of loopholes with that. And, um, and it's, yeah, so that, so a lot of people are really triggered by him and they're really triggered by watching the show because of him. Mm. So, but I think ultimately the family is what, um, why people do love the show Mm. because at the end of the day, the family does accept each member in this little circle as, as an instrumental part of making the machine work. Mm-hmm. And so they do, as much as it's difficult for them, they do accept Frank Gallagher where he's at because it is part of what makes this family and this community work. And um, so I think that's why people like it. Uh, maybe it, it, I think you've really touched on something that I hadn't even noticed that that they go through all this hell right mm-hmm. in every episode, but they have a, a rather sort of sweet, mm-hmm. almost. I, I hate to say sitcom, like like a, a moment at the, at the very end where they're always gathering together, having mm-hmm. breakfast. You know, there's like a happy ending, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's sort of like the the opposite of what we'd expect, yeah. Because they've gone through so many sort of anti TV rule kind of things, mm-hmm. and then there's just this nice little moment where they where they connect. They rarely leave a 
rarely leave an episode completely disconnected, Mm -hmm. right? Unless it's sort of a, a, a big... Mm-hmm. turn yeah. in the, the yeah. arc of the season. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for like, sure. Like if somebody's not talking to somebody, that's like, Ooh, okay. That's now a new, a huge beat. Yeah. Right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, it's funny. I always uh, joke because Showtime gives us a lot of freedom to do what we want and they really get the show. Um, and one of the funniest notes I got one time I was having, uh, you know, I, I was having lip, steal a library book. And he was stealing a book from the library that he needed for school. And uh, one of our execs on sh- uh, at, sh- at Showtime said, Nance, can you just not have him steal the library book? And I was like, what? what? <laughs> I just had, I, I think it was probably like the same episode that it, I don't even know. Like I had Bill Macy sleep with, the, you know, Lip's girlfriend and yeah, oh, he God. slept with the woman who he, call, who he hung up about the heart. And, right, right, right. And I mean, all the stuff that we've done and that I've done. And I'm like, what? That's the what library book? Yeah, that's what bumped him. <laughs> and he said, you know, ultimately what the beauty of this family and of this show is that they take care of each other and they take care of not only their family, but they take care of the community and they've got the communities back. And so by stealing a book from the library, that's sort of screwing over the community and it doesn't Mm. seem true to what you're trying to do. I was like, Hmm, that does seem like a very profound (laughs) note. I understand. That's that's interesting because, because I saw a teaser for where the next season is going to go and it has to do with their community. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really thought of that before that they're a reflection of their community or that they're sort of like with being such a a large family that they're, they're sort of the root of it to some extent, but the next season is going to focus on their actual environment changing, Mm -hmm. right? It gets kind of yuppified and that becomes something that affects their story, right? Definitely. Yeah. We're, we're doing a big gentrification storyline. And you don't really, it was just such an interesting way to go. How do you keep this family fresh and keep the stories fresh week to week? I don't know. (laughs) I I have no idea. I mean, we, when we, we have a great staff of writers and when we come in uh, at the beginning of each season, we, we have a lot of um, time. I think John Wells is just a, he's just a television genius and a, 800 pound gorilla. So he, mm-hmm. he creates a situation where we get a lot of lead time in the writer's room before we start prep. So we have a lot of time to discover things. He wants each of us, we, the first week we come in and we do, we have all these little exercises that we do where, um, we each have to bring in 20 ideas and pitch our ideas. We also do this thing where we talk about, we, we each have to write down the things we liked from last season, the, the uh, storylines we liked, what we didn't like, um, and just thoughts of where we want to go. And I always say that the, I feel like our room and our show is a little bit more of a, a works in progress because we discover things as we go along. We have mm. plenty of time to, we don't beat the hell out of outlines like other shows. Mm. We, we have broad, broad, broad strokes of, of um, story elements on our board. And then each writer is responsible for going and writing their 14-page outline. So you're doing a, a lot of heavy lifting. And then we come into the room and it, it, we all give each other notes. I mean, we even give John Wells notes. And we all... Um, 
talk about what's working and what's not working and, oh, you know what, I'm going to do this in my episode before yours or after yours. Can you change this? So it's very, it can be time consuming. And, you know, we all go through phases throughout the season where one of us at a different point is like, I'm so frustrated. I've done four drafts of this outline Mm. and four drafts of the script. So we do a lot. Like, I mean, I think on most shows they do one and one. One and one, yeah. I mean, we we have a lot of lead time to discover it, to find it, to do draft after draft, and um, so it. Uh, I think I, you know he's very pro writer and he's very pro um, the writing process and not letting anything formulaic drive it, but actually letting the the writer's voice drive. Are there certain writers that write better for certain characters? Like, okay, this is a it's a lip story. Yeah, it's and, a lip story. Yeah. You should take this. You really... I mean, we don't divvy up scripts that way. Each person does their own episode. I think that there's probably... I don't, I don't think so. I think that... I think we're all really good. We, you know, we're very... We get along great, and we're very good at saying... I don't think Lip would say this. I think you. Sh- I think this feels a little too earnest, or I think this feels a little too glib. So we definitely have the high watch for each other. Hmm. Um, do some people get a little out of the zone? For sure, we we definitely do. Who's your favorite character? Um, I don't know. Favorite. I, I mean, as soon as you said that, I said the the the. I love writing for Steve Howie, who plays Kev. Yeah, he's great. Oh my god. Yeah, so, and I feel like I do, can write for him very well, because like, he's just funny, and he gets yeah. to, like... And you he, love that guy. You love that like, guy. He's, he's yeah. not an evil person. No, he's so not. He's just like, oh, he's like a beacon of light. Yeah, and he so wants to try hard, but he has so many limitations, so yeah. that's really fun to write, like... Yeah. This person who's like, er, I want the best of things, but I don't really know how to read, and I can't really put things together uh, in a synapsis brain kind of way <laughs> yeah, like everybody yeah, else. Yeah. So. Which comes first as far as uh, coming up with new episodes go? Do you decide the relationship's going to change, and that's going to be a new episode, mm-hmm. or do you decide here's a new situation, and that's going to change the relationship? Huh, good question. I think we kind of do a combination of both. Um, I'm thinking, like, with Bill Macy's character this year, we, I think we were more situation-driven, but then that informed character relationships. So we, I mean, without spoiling anything, we decided that he was had kind of a new lease on life now at the beginning of the season, now that he's gotten his liver and mm-hmm. he is, is, is embarking on a new endeavor of leaving his mark on the planet. Oh, and, um, that's scary. And yeah, exactly. And as a result, what that then informed for us was that he didn't need Sammy anymore. You know, his older mm. daughter that mm-hmm. he found um, last season who helped him find the liver, that informed the fact that he was done with her. He got mm. what he wanted, and he didn't need her anymore. That's he his was, psychopathy, right? Yeah, so exactly. Like, I've manipulated you, yes. and I don't need you. And I don't need you. So then that drove her insane because all she, she was so happy she finally found Daddy, yeah. and now he doesn't need her. And the kids last year were all telling her, like, don't, don't get do, too yeah, into exactly. this. 
because he's not what he seems like, and she didn't want to believe them. So now she is adamant of trying to get daddy's attention this mm. year and so much backfires. Okay. So that's a, an so example. So that kind of is a relationship-creating episode, right? Because if she wants attention from her father, she's mm-hmm. going to do something mm-hmm. that could turn into an mm-hmm. episode in terms of how she acts out. Oh, for out. sure. That's really cool. I'm, yeah. just, I'm so excited about the new yeah. season. Yeah. I can't tell you. Yeah. I came to it kind of late, to be honest with you, because what had happened was we had watched the pilot, mm-hmm. and um, uh, while... Unfortunately, I could relate to a lot of what I saw. My husband was like, oh, I'm not watching this. Yeah. He, he had that, yeah. that kind of thing. He was like, oh, I get, I'm scared of this, mm-hmm. right? So he would, he's a big sleeper, and I'm kind of uh, an insomniac. So it came to this point where I would start catching it when I wasn't sleeping, and then I started secretly taping it, and then I started secretly binging on it while he was sleeping. How oh, funny. Wow. It was very... You I were felt, cheating on I felt, him yeah, shameless? I was. I was like huh. a shameless binge of shameless. Huh. And, uh, and then I started getting so involved with the family that it was actually not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, but this is normal, right? This, right. you know. And, uh, and so it's... Um, all that to say that I'm a big fan. Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to see more. Yeah. Are you? Do you also still have feature projects that you that you mm. go for? Or does this take all your time? That these days? is a good question. Um, I don't, and I want to, and so I started writing a spec just because I so need to shift gears in my brain and write a long form uh, transformational story that actually ends in a transformation by the end instead of discovering it for season after season. Um, but yeah, I, I, I realized I had, to, I had, um, I got offered a job. So we finished, uh, shameless, as I said, this Friday, and then we, um, I got an offered a job to start another, to help run another show. I would have started like two weeks ago would have overlapped and I was like mm. uh, so I started doing the math in my head I'm like oh wow I have worked 21 week, 21 months straight um, because we went back to back seasons on Shameless and without a break and at the head of that I had done that six weeks on um, the newsroom and so I was like I don't think I could go and jump into something else I really want to go and find a uh, my voice in a movie. So what if somebody said, I really want you to write this, but it's PG. What, mm. How hard would that be at this point? <laughs> I don't know. You made, you made a face. <laughs> there must be something incredibly freeing about the yeah. tone that you get to write in, whether mm-hmm. it's South Park or, or whether it's Shameless. You, I mean, this pushes the envelope big mm-hmm. time. I mean, it's shocking. Yeah. Um, do, you, do you enjoy that or do you sometimes feel like we have to play to that. No, I don't think we do at all. I think we're all really good at just not being gratuitous mm-hmm. and just pushing the recesses of our brain. And if anybody, again, we, we're, we're all so um, watching out for each other that if something does feel like, eh, do you really need to have this? Um, we'll, we keep an eye on each other. But by the same token, it is showtime and people tune in to see some nudity and some... Yeah. So do you, you're not consciously one-upping, saying, we did this with Frank, we got to push it here? Is that something that's discussed in the room? Or? I wouldn't say it's one-upping. I just think we all organically have twisted brains, so we think of these things as opposed to, we're not trying to top anything. We're just trying to, okay, what's this corner that we haven't mm-hmm. explored yet? 
Mm-hmm. Now, could you give some tips for writers out there sure. who, um, let's, let's go to feature for a second. Okay. Go back to, you know, okay. I mean, you sold, a, you sold a feature, you write features mm-hmm. as well. Um, if somebody was going to sort of, let's say somebody's experiencing writer's block and they're mm-hmm. writing a feature, do mm-hmm. you have any way in for them to keep them going or to get fresh ideas? I would say, and I'm sort of telling myself this at the same time as I'm telling them, um, I think you have to get out of your head and get into your soul and your gut and your voice. Now, how you do that is... um, I mean, I have, I'm really bad about this, and I, I've kind of just pushed through. So I've been, like I said, I've been working on this spec movie, and I've been kind of working on it all year. And I spent the first probably nine months of this year, like, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to figure it out. And then one, one day, maybe like two months ago, I was like, I can't figure it out anymore. I just have to do it. I have to find it in the writing because that's where I get into that zone. And so then I started writing. I'm like, oh my God, this is the worst. This sucks. I have to quit. I have to quit. And I just kept pushing myself and pushing myself to do a little bit every day. And all of a sudden now, like, I'm in this weird zone of, of oh, wow, I can hear the characters and they're actually now talking to me. And, and it's some weird stuff is coming through me. And I don't even know where this is coming from, but it kind of tickles me and makes me laugh. And it still sort of sucks, but something's jiving. So I guess that's it, is just is trying to do exercises to get out of your head and just to, to write and, and write from that, that, you know, that channeled place, that zen place. Um, I think she's saying get out of your head and on the page. I think that's what she's saying. She's right saying. Oh, look at that. That's our, our, th- our theme song. Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of sounds like uh, if you can hear the voices in your head, the, the characters in your head, I should mm-hmm. say, you know what choices they're going to make next too, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Because, okay, so now you are the character, you're faced with a situation, they're going to make a certain choice, but you're channeling them so yeah. that, oh, okay, they'd probably do this. It could yeah. affect story. Well, and one of the things I always, I mean, this is what I do, and I know a lot of people don't do this. The thing, I'm literally, I don't even think I'm in my first act yet in this um, movie spec I'm writing, and I already have like 140 pages, and I'm not exaggerating. I am all about brain dumping. I am all about not rereading, not going back, not fixing, not trying to finesse. I write myself, as I'm writing, I'm writing myself notes like, oh, actually, I have to remember in the previous scene, don't forget to add this thing because of what I just said right here. Like, I don't even go back to the previous scene and add it. You just dump that I to the side. I just dump it. I just and- keep dumping and keep moving. And then I also, um, like I'll write a scene and then I'll, and then, and then I somehow I'll be like, ah, I feel like rewriting the scene because, or or I'll give like, I just keep giving different options of, of things I hear in my head. Like I just make it horrible and messy and bad and awful. And so I think it's like, once I can give myself permission to get into that and just make it bad and don't reread it and just get to the finish line and, um, um, get everything out in your head think that I, it just works for me it really works for me um i think that's where you kind of find gems i'm gonna ask you one last question and it's a piece of career advice mm-hmm. so anything that you you wish you 
knew then that you know now? Hmm. Not that you've screwed anything up. You've done quite well. But is there anything sort of you learned over time that was like, oh, gosh, I kind of wish somebody had told me that when I came to LA? Um, well, a couple of things. And I was just telling a friend of mine this. Um, when I was going on meet, I, I, I remember going on a meeting when I first moved out here with this casting director. And I was so nervous. And, um, and she, she kind of just went through my resume and just asked me questions. And I was like, yes, no, yes, the, the, you know, the whatever. <laughs> whatever you want me to say. Yeah, exactly. It. And then at some point later, completely out of a different context, I, I, had, I think I was at a party and somebody, I overheard somebody saying, you know a meeting is going bad when they're just going down your resume and asking you questions. And that, <laughs> that piece of information and advice, I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. They just want you to be a real person. And a friend of mine was auditioning for a reality cooking show this week, and she was really nervous about it. And I said, what happens if they ask you where you're from? What are you going to say? Or where you live? She goes, Santa Monica. I'm like, no, wrong answer. Tell me a story about where, where you live. I said, what's your apartment like? You, you live in a little tiny apartment with your husband and three cats and it's rent control. Like, tell me something interesting about yourself. Like, inform me about you. And so I would say if anybody's going on meetings, that just, just there's no right answer. What they want to know is like your weird, quirky self. Like how yeah. you view the world and how you... How, um, what's your point of view? And, and I feel like that has changed my career so much because most writers are little hermits and then they go into these meetings and they're like, hello, yes, no. And I, I mean, I, people want to be able to work with me because, or they are interested in working with me because I come in with my like weird, quirky stories. I have a lot of stories about my little dog now. Mm-hmm. Um, you just be a human being and being, you know, they want to see like that kind of weird, creative brain in some mm-hmm. ways working. So I would say that. That's a great piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Tell me a story. I kind of want to actually give like a workshop on this. I want to do a workshop called, um, what did I, what was I calling it the other day? I had a couple of different names. Um, just, just do me or something like I don't just know. Just do me. Just yeah. do you. I would. <laughs> I'd be careful about that one. Yes, I don't. Exactly. I, you're a very attractive yeah, woman. It would not be. Just then do again. Me. Then what? again, she just might get a really full room. You know. Um, that's how you do it. That's, no, that's, that's you know. Yeah. It's just me. Um, <laughs> only but, when I'm desperate, I do. <laughs> um, but then, as far as uh, writing stuff, I, career advice. Um, that's a pretty that nice a good piece. One. Like, that, let's leave on that. That's up? sweet. I think that's good. That's People forget up. that you're still a human being when yeah. you go and you're not just your script and your resume. It's you, no. know, you get caught up yeah. in that. I mean, I, I I think I literally walk into a meeting and I just take command of the room. Like I walk in and I'll be like, "Oh my god, I love that." What is that a subway poster? What is that the subway of? Where is that? Uh, those, those are act, it looks like a subway poster, but oh. it's actually um, a convergence of all the greatest movies of all oh, time. It is, yeah, that is so cool. See, it got you, right? But see, that's what she does. But you're right. like, I just walk in, right there, I do, so. yeah, mm-hmm. I, like either talk about something, I'll, or I'll be like, "Oh my god, I thought I was going to be late to this meeting because I like I never try to do anything negative." Like, sorry, I'm late. My boyfriend right. just broke up with me. Um, but I'll just, you know, <laughs> although that's a story right yeah. there, but I've had so many actresses who do that because they want to create oh, sympathy and I'm yeah. like, I don't like you. I don't want to work with you. Oh, so they I do it when you're on the other side, when I'm on yeah. the other side. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, um, but I'll come in and I usually have some story about something that just happened to me that day. Like I came here, I have 
10 Latino workers that I left at my house so that I could come in and oh. meet with you. Because I'm always not, it's not really true, but see, I got you. She got you. But that's because you're a compulsive liar. Is how compulsive she's liar. A, no, yeah. but I usually have workers at my house. And so I'll just say that. I'm like, I have no idea what they're stealing, but this, this meeting was so much more important to me. <laughs> so I try to bring in something that's going on in my life. Did so that, that come they, from your improv? background i think so yeah, yeah. i think yeah. so yeah because it's very much part of that right it's yes like what happened today and then what, it just yes. comes out yeah and you can use that yes yeah. exactly and yeah. i it's 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 i said to my friend i said tell me a story as if i've just asked you 20 questions that you eventually are going to get to that story but i can't ask you i don't have time to ask you those 20 questions mm. so just give me the story from the top Got it. And so that That's even cool. if they ask you a lead-in question that doesn't necessarily segue into the story, find yeah, a way find to a way make to... that story apply to it. Yeah. That's or just great. find a way to just make the story like a little bit more. You know, living in Santa Monica is boring and that has no value. I have no, I don't care about you. You've it's made not this, interesting. It's no, not interesting. No. You don't stand out. Right. I don't care that you live. In, I don't really care where you live. I'm just trying yeah. to make small talk. So yeah, you need exactly. to... You need to tell me something. Well, yeah. if you want to put on your Just Do Me uh, workshop, okay. I, I got a barn, right? You're sitting like in this. it. Okay. Yeah. So I like we this. can put on a show. All right. Well, we, we should yeah. talk about that. Okay. I think I would be, I think, um, I think that's, I think I have some other gifts that I would like to pass on to Excellent. people. Excellent. Excellent. This is the place for it. Okay. Thank you for passing on your gifts on this yes. show. I'm so happy. You, you guys are great. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. So everybody, I'm sure, should go tune into season five of Shameless, mm-hmm. which is coming out in January. January 11th. Correct. Yes. And if you haven't, Catch up. Yeah, you yeah. Right? Catch up. Where, where can they catch up? Do they catch up on Netflix? Or? No. HBO and Showtime shows are not, because they have their own... Um, the HBO to go and HBO Showtime. To go and Showtime, whatever, whatever that is. Showtime. We'll do that <laughs> or buy the DVDs, right? Yes, you can buy the DVDs yeah. because I, I get, I get um, residuals from that. So it is, oh, okay. Do it. Put money in Nancy's pocket. Yes. She has all these workers back home. I've, She's got to pay them. I know. And also it's great binge watching. It's a great oh, yeah. secret binge watching while your husband is sleeping. Yes. I totally, totally recommend it. Um, I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv. The first draft class is starting up again in January. Um, the people... So so Nancy, one of my star students, oh, yeah, who? who went through the first draft class, the rewrite class, my private writing group, and we workshopped stuff. Oh, what are you doing? Can we take a picture? Oh, of sure. Yeah. Oh, are we taking a selfie? I'm, taking, I'm trying to take a selfie. Oh, there we go. Hi. Oh, oh I don't know if I can get a selfie. Okay. All right. We took it. We took a selfie as we're talking. But I wanted to tell you, Jennifer Cram. Yeah, oh, she she's great, right? Is the best. And she's I, great. Did she take that job? Um, I don't. Wait, yes, I, I believe so because she'd be an idiot if she didn't. So we, I hooked been, her up with that. I you know. know that. I, I totally did because you liked Cancer Girl, which she workshopped in here. Oh, she did. Yeah, yeah. We yeah. She, can I just with her let on me everything? Just, she's let my, my star say. student. She okay. I get asked to read a lot of stuff, even from very successful writers, and I will mm-hmm. say every single thing I read is horrible. And um, that's a, such a horrible statement to make. But it's just like people's first drafts, where all of our first drafts are horrible. Yeah. So, um, and most people aren't writing in their voice. They're just trying to write in, in a formulaic way. So I don't read anything anymore. But um, John Papsadera, who I'm friends with, who she works with, said, you have to read the script. It's great. And it, 
is literally the first thing that I've read in such a long time that I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. And she is awesome. And she has a voice and she's going to go far. And I would like to just say that when she first started out in an on the page class, she was a brand new writer. She had never written anything. So if you want to take Wait, a class, are you credit? go to on the page. You know what? For Jen, Cl- Jen, if you if you got her to where she is, she's amazing. And uh, this, my friend's husband, who I've never met, I mean, I've met my friend, but I've never met her husband. He, she said, can my husband get in touch with you? Because he just actually sold a show and he's, he's a showrunner now and he doesn't even know what right. he's doing. So he and I have been emailing. And at first I was like, I'm going to give him two sentences of advice and then be done with him because I, like, uh, I have such strong right. boundaries. Right. He ended up being like the greatest guy and the coolest guy and had such good boundaries himself that I'm like, oh, I completely want to help him because he's not weird mm. and he's not a freak. He didn't try to take, take, take. No, not at all. He was very, very professional and funny and like good, clean boundaries. And so I was like, oh, please, I want to help you more. And he wanted, he wanted to know if I knew anybody who... Um, was a great writer because he was building his staff. And I was like, you have to read this woman. Yay. And mm. she is amazing. And so he emailed me. He was like, she's amazing. And I want to put her on staff. And then she emailed me saying she got an agent and she got this job offer. And I said, where's my cut? Right. Mm. Where's right. my percentage? Yeah. See? See, there and you go. And now I have to split it, obviously, with Pilar yeah. because... I, oh, yeah. I asked for no she money, just nothing, all guys. of the credit. Yeah. That's, all, that's all right. She's, she's a great writer. 30% right there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so so oh, that's why... I'm very happy to hear that. Yeah. yeah. So go to onthepage.tv, sign up for the first draft class, become Jen Cram, and then you'll be friends with Nancy, and then Nancy will get you a job. The yes. End. <laughs> the end. That's oh, guaranteed. Wow. That was your like takeaway. Being, I don't know. It's like, what are you doing? I know. It's 10 easy steps to make it in home. Exactly. Um, Deep, where should people follow you? Um, don't follow me because that creeps me out. But, okay. Uh, kind of at, at Adeep on Twitter. And uh, yeah, I'm just chilling, yeah, hanging just out in, in the ether there. Go say hi to Adeep. Yeah. Thank you again, Nancy, Thank for being you. here. Thank you so much, Adeep, yes. for producing today. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And have a good writing week. <laughs>